Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 251. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss The Lion King One and a Half. And I will admit to you that as much as I love The Lion King, when I saw this title come out, it was in like the mid-2000s, so like I am just not in that target demographic. And what really turned me off was the title of the film, One and a Half. I said, this is just so strange. Who puts out a sequel, calls it a half a sequel, and expects me to go see it, or in this case, to go buy it or rent it, because this is a part of our series we've been discussing for a few weeks, the straight-to-video sequels. This, to me at the time, just reeked of you've run out of ideas, just based on the title alone. So this wasn't something that I sat to watch until we knew that we were going to have this conversation for the show. Was this one that had escaped you, or was this one that you had been on top of years ago? I honestly don't remember. Um, there were things that felt very familiar about it, like I had seen it before, but that could just be because this is playing out in the same time as The Lion King. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation because we skewered Beauty and the Beast Bell's Magical World for doing the same thing. Yes. However, this was very much a planned film. Bell's Magical World, in its defense, although it's not much of one because it should not have seen the light of day, was just a scrapped television show that they said, well, we've already put the money in, so let's not lose the money. This you could see where it has intent. This has intent. However, is it an acceptable half see i can't even call it a sequel is, is it is it a, an acceptable film in the universe that is the lion king where does it hold up against the other straight to video sequels that on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today this episode is sponsored by fierce fox co designers of handmade silk screen shirts fierce fox has a t-shirt tank top hoodie or crew neck for every fandom so whether it's the movies or theme parks princesses or villains the mcu or star wars everyone will find something they love the designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. Timon and Pumbaa are watching The Lion King and decide to tell us the story of their involvement. We see Timon struggle at home as a meerkat, unable to do any task that his uncle Max gives him, much to the, uh, to the dismay of his mother, Ma. Timon wishes to live a life above the ground, and after a failed attempt as being a century watch that leads to the return of the hyenas, Timon leaves to find his own way. Just as Timon regrets this decision, he meets Rafiki, who tells him that he must look beyond what he sees, which Timon takes literally and leads him to Pride Rock to find his dream home. He soon meets Pumbaa, who decides to protect Timon due to his small size. When Timon learns of Pumbaa's quote-unquote secret power to drive others away, he decides it's in his best interest to let Pumbaa join him as his acquaintance, because he does not yet consider him a friend. They end up at Pride Rock for the presentation of Simba, and when 
Pumbaa's special power causes others to pass out. The other animals bow down to Simba in response. They find a cozy spot at Pride Rock where Timon invites Pumbaa to stay, which Pumbaa quickly agrees to. When the pair is awoken by Simba's song and dance, as he just can't wait to be king, they decide to leave for quieter pastures and end up in an elephant graveyard. However, they quickly leave when they see the hyenas. Timon continues to look beyond what he sees to find home, but winds up in the stampede that kills Mufasa. Their escape leads them over a waterfall where Timon learns how lost and lonely Pumbaa truly is and formally bonds their friendship. They soon realize they have washed up in a paradise which leads them to their Hakuna Matata. When Timon's mother learns that Timon is chasing metaphors, she heads off to rescue him as she believes that he is in trouble. Timon and Pumbaa then chase after buzzards and rescue Simba, who they raise as their own. As Simba grows up, Timon sees that Pumbaa has perfected Akuna Matata and challenges him to a snail slurping contest, which he eventually loses. As the trio hit their stride, Nala arrives and Timon and Pumbaa do their best to sabotage the moment, but inadvertently make it better for Simba and Nala. They later learn that Simba has left to fulfill his destiny as the King of Pride Rock, and Nala convinces Pumbaa to help him while Timon refuses. Timon is now left alone in his dream home, and after another interaction with Rafiki, realizes that he must go help Simba and retain his Akuna Matata. He reunites with Pumbaa, where they draw the hyenas away from Pride Rock. Timon is reunited with his mother and uncle, who dig tunnels underneath Pride Rock and trap the hyenas, protecting Scar. Simba defeats Scar and takes his place as the king, and thanks to the pair, they are now a part of Pride Rock. He thanks them for their help. Timon then brings all of the meerkats to live with him in his paradise. Off the rip... When this film's open, when when this film opens, you have Timon singing over the iconic opening to Lion King. And I'll be honest, it almost lost me right here because I was like, this is going to be pandering to kids. That's what this is. Like, honestly, if Disney Plus was a thing when this was released, this would have been tailor made for Disney Plus. It would have been like the perfect, let's capitalize on the success of The Lion King, plop the kids down in front of the TV and give them the characters that they know and love and just have a fun romp with Timon and Pumbaa and it doesn't really have to make a lot of sense. I very quickly changed my mind because this film is a masterclass in breaking the fourth wall. This opening is brilliant on so many levels, not just because of the way that they're having Timon and Pumbaa narrate, and as I mentioned, breaking the fourth wall, the way that they're being so budget conscious with this animation, you're recycling animation, which again, like I said, we skewered the other films for because you could pick out in Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, what was recycled and how they did it badly. Because especially with Beauty and the Beast, it was changing shots. They were inside, then they were outside. No, here you're using the original film. You're writing it into the plot and you're saving budget because Timon and Pumbaa are in silhouette this entire time. You hardly have to animate them at all. Brilliant. The whole thing. Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know, they were the first to do this. And frankly, without giving too much away, Disney really nailed 
the feel of what mystery science theater does. And a lot of those guys now are doing riff tracks, right? So like now modern audiences know them for riff tracks. Um, They captured it. And Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella, they are the perfect duo for this kind of humor. Yes. This would not have worked with any other franchise. I mean, it didn't. It didn't with Beauty and the Beast when you're in the same timeline. But to your point too, where you're having the additional narration and they are talking in the third person about what they've already experienced. There's no two other characters like Flounder and Sebastian. I hate to say it could not have carried this Cogsworth and Lumiere. Maybe, maybe this is how you could have done beauty and the beast in a way that made sense. But um, yeah, just conceptually it's brilliant. And I think this is where you start to forgive it for being called lion King one and a half. Um, The other thing that I thought was really going to bother me but didn't and instead I think worked in service of this film is, you know, Lion King is just one of the most stunningly beautiful animated pieces that they've ever done and it's hand-drawn and here they're obviously incorporating a lot more computer animation and there was no other way to do it otherwise because like I said, you've got the Timon and Pumbaa silhouettes playing with the movie playing behind them. Um, At least at the open. It's not the whole film. Yeah, it's not. They're not up there on screen through the entire thing. But that would have been impossible to do hand-drawn. The way that they're fast-forwarding, rewinding, it's so brilliant. But the other shot that really, really struck me is once they get you into the film and they say, all right, we're going to tell the story, our story before it happens, they do that beautiful shot where they pull out from Pride Rock and they speed it up. Obviously, that's all done in the computer, but it, it's just so cool. I love how they did it, and it's such a great launch point for this whole film. Where the animation is not recycled, it's still stunning animation. Yes. And that's something that um, Bell's Magical World, I mean, was some of the worst animation I've ever seen, because one eye's looking at me and the other eye's looking at Rick. <laughs> Some of the animation in J- in Return of Jafar and King of Thieves, it was good, but you could see where it was obviously a lower budget, not as bright, not as vibrant. You don't get that feeling from this. And you should be able to tell, just based on the predecessors, you should be able to tell when the recycled animation ends and the new animation begins, and you can't. If you don't know the film well enough, you cannot tell where one ends and the other begins. It's pretty seamless. It is. It's spectacular. And because they've got, you know, we're not even going to really, we're going to launch into only a couple of members of the cast because they really only introduced two new cast members. But the fact that they could get everybody back again, you know, like this isn't, now Return of Jafar, obviously there was a reason why Robin Williams wasn't there. We talked about it when we reviewed that episode. But I think the, uh, I think that people believed, I think that they thought that when you go to the straight to VHS or video releases that you're not going to pay for the name talent. You're just going to get people who sound like them, who sing like them. Not the case here. Not been the case in most of these films, actually, which has been a very pleasant surprise. But there's obviously money that's been put into this. And it stands out. And, you know... We still have some other films to talk about, and as much as we did enjoy King of Thieves, as much as we enjoyed Return of Jafar, Return of Jafar is still a great film. Um, I, I do think that of all of the ones that we've watched so far, 
this one is the one that feels the most big budget because it looks the most big budget. I would agree. I think it's fair to say that with the other ones, because they brought back most of the original cast, that's where they spent their money and the animation was sacrificed. Here, you got everything. They, it doesn't feel like anything was, uh, you know, they didn't rob Peter to pay Paul in this case. The only person that they didn't, uh, and we are going to talk about the cast and the new cast members, but I do want to clarify, the only person that didn't come back was Rowan Atkinson right. for Zazu. Um, and I felt that, you know, like that that was the only place where I was like, oh, this is not the same. But unfortunately, Zazu doesn't have like a huge part. Yeah. We'll talk about the the cast later on um let's talk about the introduction though to the meerkats um uncle max you meet uncle max right away uh he's one of the first people that we meet he's fantastic uncle max is every frustrated person who ever lived and i'm here for it guy needs his own spinoff honestly Uh, i would have watched that show I would have watched a show with just the Meerkats. Like, I know Timon and Pumbaa had their Saturday morning cartoon, but if they would have spun this off into just these characters, I'd watch it, I'd binge it, I'd be all over it. I also think it was a really smart choice that they zeroed in on Timon's backstory because we didn't really get a lot of that in The Lion King. Obviously, in Akuna Matata, the song we see Pumbaa's backstory. And I don't think that there's much you have to elaborate on there because he's a loner. And, you know, we didn't need to see the sad story of him being outcast from his family because he can't control his flatulence. Um, So I think that this was a much smarter way to go about it, especially because, you know, when we meet Timon in The Lion King, other than Akuna Matata, his motto is, when the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. And that's what he's preaching to Simba. So we needed to see what gave him that hardened stance. I mean, his motivation makes all the sense in the world. It does. But what I do really like, too, is that he wanted to get away just as much as his family wanted him out. I like that it was layered in that way instead of just he doesn't fit in and one night he runs away. In the middle of the night. I like that there's sort of that pull with his mother that she doesn't want him to go. She's doing everything that she can to help him fit in and be a a functional member of the family. And he just can't do it. But if they would have left it at that, I feel like it wouldn't have cut as deep where he he also has bigger and better ideas like the reason he doesn't fit in is because he doesn't want to. He, he's he got a bigger plan for himself. So I really liked that. Well, I also think that the other thing is that if you had this moment where he's just cast out, there's too much sad on top of sad on top of sad when this movie is supposed to focus on the two most lighthearted characters in the franchise. So I, I think that you, you found a way to make it where he is a cast out, but it's funny. Like in theory, it shouldn't be funny that somebody's being cast out by their family, but in this case it works. Well, I think the other thing is that then it would feel much too much like the Lion King when Simba is told to leave. I mean, that was different because it was Scar. And, you know, he's planting an idea in his head. But I think you needed to layer it in this case so that it didn't feel like a retread. Right. I love the return of the hyenas. I love how this whole thing happens where he keeps failing and failing and they make him the century watch 
And because he's so obsessed with dancing and singing and just being his own showman, this is what brings the hyenas back is because he completely fails in the task of look and shriek and scream. And he couldn't handle it. The way that it's all done, too, with them chasing Max down and then the cutaway, I really thought that Uncle Max was a goner. So I like that they give us confirmation that the hyenas didn't get him. But it's just, again, cleverly done with breaking that fourth wall and seeing Timon and Pumbaa watching their own film. And this is where having somebody as talented as Nathan Lane, this is where a film like this works because... He's going out on his own now, and his mother is, don't talk to strangers, and blah, blah, blah. And as he's walking away, in only, in only a way that Nathan Lane can say, goodbye, Ma! <laughs> it's hysterical. I also really like um, how they flip the idea of everything the light touches, because you're going from yes. Mufasa passing that down to Simba and saying, this is all our kingdom, and his uh, Timon's mother saying, this is our lot in life. You know, it, we're not the top of the food chain. We just kind of have to take what we can get and know our place in the circle of life. And now at the same time, she's got to let him go. And let me comment on that for a second, because something that we've talked about specifically with the return of Jafar and with Little Mermaid 2 was that there are moments where those films feel like retreads the, at, at times, almost the exact same film as, his, as its predecessor. Return of Jafar, in its moments, in the roots. But Little Mermaid 2 is basically the same movie twice. In this case, you are literally taking place in the same movie. It could not feel any different from the original Lion King. Which was such a huge risk that they gambled too, because with the Lion King, I mean, we talked about this when we reviewed it. It's Hamlet. It's a Shakespearean play. There are beats that it needed to hit to follow that format and yet make it its own story. So now you're doubling down on that by putting this film in that same timeline. So you still need to hit all those things and still make it feel fresh. It was a huge gamble to do it this way. But I think that also has to do with what I was talking about earlier was focusing this on Timon's backstory, not so much Pumbaa. And they were able to give it those layers. Yeah. Rafiki interacting with Timon. And Timon's response of, it must be that slug I ate. To all the awards, all the applause. It was such a great line. And it, you know, sitting and watching it a few times this week, it got me every time we watched it. Oh, yeah. Um, this is, again, where Rafiki shtick should have felt a little bit old. And it didn't. In fact, I was sitting there going, where has this interaction been all of my life? Timon bouncing off of Rafiki is absolutely brilliant. And I, I wanted more of it. What's interesting, though, is instead of doing the mystery science theater, this is how they were going to kick off the film was um, Timon and Pumbaa were making updates to Rafiki's drawings on the tree. And then Rafiki comes in and he gets pissed at them. And he's like, you know, don't mess up my tree, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, 
And it was, it's actually, it's in the deleted scenes and it was funny, but not as funny as having them do the narration or this beat that you get between Timon and Rafiki. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I agree with you. That line was laugh out loud every, every single time. It's either the slug I ate or I'm having an epiphany. Um, and the animation in this sequence is beautiful too, because this is when Rafiki tells Timon, look beyond what you see. So again, this is where you kind of needed the computer to achieve the effect of Timon is squinting at things and they keep changing the focus because Pride Rock is what he's supposed to see, but it's blurred out and he keeps right. looking at everything but. Uh, so it's really, really well done. And what I love too is the whole Timon, and, and, and it speaks to how sheltered in many ways Timon is. And... It, it, it speaks to sometimes when someone's naive and they say the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, obviously that plays into this as well. The irony of which is that in this case, the grass literally is greener on the other side and they find that that perfect home eventually. But but the sheltered life that he lives and being an outsider, taking it literally as his mother will later say, my son's off chasing metaphors. Another great line. <laughs> it is. But I love that they have him taking it literally because, you know, Timon is, is a smart character, you know, as we know him. So for him to kind of be Drax in that way, it's what makes Drax so funny. He's just so desperate for the greener pastures, no pun intended, that he literally doesn't understand that this is supposed to be an internal thing. And he's literally... It's it's brilliant. The whole thing's perfect. Well, it's it's that naivete, right? Because yeah. we're going to. I mean, obviously, we've seen Timon and Pumbaa in The Lion King. We have seen them as survivors on their own, and we've seen the montage of them raising Simba in Akuna Matata. But here, we're going to see a lot more of that play out, which we will get to. So. When you're having Timon sort of step into that role as a parent to young Simba, you can't just start him off there. You know, you have to set him back a little bit. And I like that, you know, we just didn't get a look at his past, but they were very conscious to de-age him in that way. And he kind of does come off as playing that like young 20s. I think I know everything, but I still yeah. have a lot to learn. It works for his character, but it also works for the growth that we're going to see. Yes. And let's talk about the introduction of Timon and Pumbaa, as we will eventually know them. I like that this wasn't an immediate bromance. Yes. Yep. I have the same note. The The acquaintanceship, it makes sense for Timon, even if we as the audience don't like it. It, it's really well done. And they were, they were very smart, this entire film, very tactful in taking it just far enough because you could have easily crossed a line and made Timon dislikable. Yes, they towed the line very, very carefully and you just hit it that it makes us uncomfortable to watch because we know that they're the best of friends and we know how much they rely on each other. But I just thought it was so smart that you know, Timon's like Pumbaa's in, he's in whole hog, pun intended. And Timon is pumping the brakes and you're right. It does make him come off like a jerk in this moment, but that's as far as it goes. Um, and instead of him pushing Pumbaa aside throughout the rest of the course of this film, 
it's just more an issue of learning to trust for both of them and letting someone into their life when they didn't fit in otherwise. Let's talk about Timon and Pumbaa being at the presentation of Simba. Brilliant. Listen, there's there's a little low brow in every high brow, and anybody that knows me or has been with this show long enough knows that flatulence jokes fall flat on me. That I don't, by and large, find it funny with a handful of instances. This was perfect. This was absolutely brilliant. It was priceless the way that this happened because now it's the ripple effect. It's the ch- oh, we're supposed to bow. Oh, okay, <laughs> and it just it ends up being sire. Look, they're bowing <laughs> all by accident, all by mistake. Wasn't supposed to be there, and you're you're making a parody of one of the greatest films that this company has ever made one of the most powerful moments in one of the best films they've ever made you've managed to make a borderline mockery of it but still respect it is the lion king as we know it kind of ruined moving forward yes but in every way i want it to be that's that's how well played this was in this moment that's what i'm saying this could not work with any other film and the moments that they chose to get Timon and Pumbaa in the right place at the right time were just brilliant this is probably the most brilliant because I agree with you we're not very big on toilet humor here like even with something like I think American Pie is one of the greatest comedies of all time but oh my god that scene with Finch I can't do it and anytime it kills the whole movie for me um So in an instance where I wouldn't normally find something like this funny, it's just so well done. And I dare say it's it's perfect. All right. Let's talk about their first home that they find just outside of Pride Rock. There the the humor is is really, really funny here. The writing is very funny here. We bought land in the theater district. As only, again, and to have Nathan Lane deliver that line when he's so known for the producers, it's just it it's fantastic. I have one minor gripe with this. Really? Yes. We don't know exactly how long they've been there. What we know is that they've stumbled upon Pride Rock at the presentation of Simba. They find this home. It almost leads you to believe that they wake up the next morning and this is happening. Which is not the case in Lion King. So, yeah, obviously Simba and Nala have a pre-existing friendship. They've already caused problems with each other before. Yeah. So are we to believe that they've been there for a couple of months or are we to believe that it's been one night? There's not a clear line. It. I'm willing to overlook it because we don't need to see them thriving at Pride Rock, but it could lead you to believe that it was on day two that this has happened. Day two of Simba's life is when this is all happening. Which we know that it's not because there is a little bit of a passage of time in The Lion King. So if we're tracking that, then yes, they've been here for... 
several weeks, a month, several months maybe. So you did need them to look a little bit more settled into this location. But it does play like it's an overnight. I think that's the one flaw where your timeline didn't align perfectly. But honestly, I didn't even notice it until you pointed it out. Because what I did notice, you know, you've got they wake up. They're woken up by Simba singing, I can't wait to be king, which is not only such a brilliant choice, but the sound editing, the way that they gave it that muffled quality that it's happening outside. And then again, you insert them into what we already know. They're the ones who topple the, the pyramid of animals, which I thought was so clever because really... Do we believe, I mean, obviously we're suspending a lot because we're watching The Lion King, but do we believe that all of those animals piled on top of each other, that anybody is able to support a hippopotamus? No, we don't. We're not going to buy that. But it's part of the aesthetic of that musical number and just, you know, playing to the way that it's beautifully drawn. And here they bring the reality into it that it is an actual pyramid and and it topples. I, I love the whole thing. So smart. Off we go to the elephant graveyard. It's so quick. It's such a quick scene, but it is so funny. It The one joke that's there is a little dated where he says, it's not the cast of Riverdance. Most kids now have no idea what Riverdance is or who Michael Flatley is. That, that reference is a little dated, but for, I think, its target demographic at the time who have now grown up, and will continue to watch this film, the humor is still there. So that wasn't the elephant graveyard, though. They give us like three quick little beats where they're inserted into these iconic scenes. The elephant graveyard, what I really liked that they did was we weren't tracking with Simba at this point. We got a glimpse at Mufasa. And I like that we did get new material with Mufasa. The river dance exit was actually at the beginning of Be Prepared. Um, but I thought it was hilarious too. I mean, Riverdance was huge in the nineties. Obviously that carried over into the two thousands. I still think the joke works, but you're right. There are going to be people who have no idea what they're talking about, but it's still funny to see them, you know, stand up on their hind legs and And tap out of there. Yeah. Um, and then they get caught up in the stampede, which I think worked. The stampede has been, it's a meme. One of those animation deaths that scarred you as a child, right? You see this on social media all of the time. The Stampede is one of the most horrific, devastating parent deaths we've ever seen in a Disney film. And yet somehow Disney thought, in this case, that it would be smart to make comedy of it. What's even more impressive is that they accomplished it. This shouldn't be funny. It's hysterical. You're No, you're right. I mean, it's not as funny as when everyone bows at the presentation of Simba because I think they were careful to toe the line and like, yes, they insert the comedy into it, but it is still a very tense scene. You still get the action. Um I was surprised, honestly, that they even went for it. Because I mean, you kind of know that they're going to because they have put Timon and Pumbaa in every other iconic part of The Lion King. Um, you know, in that first act where Timon and Pumbaa are not actually a part of the film yet. Um, 
So to do that and leave this scene out, I think would have done a disservice. But I feel like they figured out the best way forward getting them in here. Absolutely. And what they do very well, where something that's very well placed is the friendship, the actual bond that is their friendship. I'm glad that they do it right after this point in the film, because if they had dragged it out any longer, I think that that's another instance, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, where you run the risk of making Timon dislikable. Well, you also can't because they're going to meet Simba very soon. So now you have to lock that friendship in because by the time Simba does wander off and they find him, they're a solid unit already. So it was just enough time to make their friendship feel earned that even though it didn't start off that way, they lock in. They're going to survive together. They're going to be each other's chosen family. And you sort of had to ramp up a little bit and get it there because we are about to have those two worlds collide now. Right. And that starts to come to a head with their Akuna Matata scene. I, I love the moment where, you know, because Timon can't remember what it's called. Pumbaa can't remember what it's called. It's so brilliant. A scoop of regatta. Uh, they, I mean, they do everything to dance around it. And then when t when Pumbaa finally delivers, uh, oh, Akuna Matata, no worries. Um, it's so great. And I think it was also a really smart way, rather than to break into the traditional musical number, they still managed to get the song back in there. But they do it, as they're watching it in the theater. So they cut back to Timon and Pumbaa in real time doing a sing-along, which was really fun. Yeah, fun. Good for kids. Yeah. And that's that's really who it's being made for. But they, again, there's there's a moment here where it should feel like a retread. It should feel like a ripoff. Come on, it's time for a sing-along. Everybody now. And it should just, it should feel so cheap, but it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you're doing a sequel about Timon and Pumbaa. You have to get their song in there, yeah. but they they did it carefully and it works. Now we get the introduction to Simba, which we know, obviously, from The Lion King. But we see sort of how Timon and Pumbaa, they justify it. They're going to bring him along. He's a great companion to have. He can protect them. All these things that we know from The Lion King. What What's brilliant, though is the peak behind the parenting curtain. Yes. The Lion Sleeps Tonight versus Jungle Boogie. Yeah. I'm going to get old walking over this bridge and seeing how they have now become this unequipped, ill-equipped in many ways, adoptive parents to Simba in a time where Simba really needed somebody. And we obviously know how this is going to play out. And the impact and the influence that they had on him. It's all well and good. But seeing all of this, everything that you everything you didn't see in the montage of walking along the bridge as Simba gets older, it's the peek behind the curtain I didn't know that I needed until I saw it. Yeah. The tonal shift was really interesting for me because I did sort of get sad because, you know, we we talked about it a few minutes ago where we know that there's passage of time between the presentation of Simba and singing can't wait to be king. But like you forget 
how young he really is. I mean, to lose Mufasa was going to be devastating either way, but now it's reinforced just how young that he is. And we see all of the fun parts in Akuna Matata, but you would never consider this like how, how both parties really needed to adjust how, you know, Simba has lost everything. So obviously that's very sad, but Timon and Pumbaa are also learning how to parent. So it's a great parallel to actually see this play out. But, um, you know, and there still is the comedy there, but when I really started to think about it and probably overanalyze it, like it bummed me out a little bit. And I was like, wow, Simba really missed out on a lot with with not only Mufasa, but with his mother, too, and just being a part of the pride when when he's, you know, he can't even make it through the night without having to go to the bathroom. He doesn't want to go by himself. I'm saying bathroom there in the middle of the jungle, but he doesn't want to go by himself. He doesn't even want to go get a drink of water by himself. And then the nightmare is what did it for me. I'm like, wow, he really is just a teeny tiny kid. And I think that totally gets lost in the Akuna Matata sequence because Simba's a lion. He's at the top of the food chain. It's been preached to us throughout the first act and a half of that film. And now you just see all of that completely stripped away and you realize he was just a kid. Yeah. Another scene that I didn't know that I needed in my life until I got it was the behind the scenes of the Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Because what happens here, the pacing of this film is very, very quickly paced. When you start getting into the scenes that we already know from The Lion King, it's paced well, but it is paced kind of fast. It's like, okay, this, 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 this. Hit the beat, hit the beat, hit the beat. Because we know it. Because we know it, but then when those beats are gone, that's where it slows down a little bit and you get more of that peak behind the scenes. So I think maybe, like, perhaps now in retrospect, as I'm kind of talking through it, maybe that's why the can't wait to be king scene seems like it comes so fast because they didn't show us the passage of time. Perhaps they didn't need to show us the passage of time, but it's what we know happens next in The Lion King. Right. So maybe that's where it feels like they're rushing through it because it feels like almost immediately you get a little bit of, you know, they're eating the grubs and then the, the hot springs scene, which I didn't need. Um... It seems like they get through those very quickly, and oh, boom, Nala's here. Uh, but this is a th- this again is absolutely hysterical. It's more scenes that I didn't know that I needed when they're trying to sabotage. Can you feel the love tonight? And all of the things that we saw in the Lion King, and we think that they're just so infatuated with each other that they're not paying attention. They're tripping over things randomly. To see that it's Timon and Pumbaa. Literally and figuratively pulling the strings. It's flawless. It is. I just wish that we would have seen more of the actual animation, but I don't know that there was a way to do that. I mean, obviously they had to reanimate Simba and Nala to make it look like they're tripping into each other, but I wish we would have gotten more of the backgrounds that we're familiar with, the waterfall and things like that. Um, because this, this was entirely redone. So it was funny. It worked for comedy. It worked for story. Um, but I just wish there was more of that familiarity here. Yes. And so 
Simba goes off to fulfill his destiny and go defeat his Uncle Scar, as we all know. And Pumbaa wants to stay by his side. Timon doesn't. Timon wants to stay in their paradise, does not want to be involved in the conflict, feels as if Simba has turned his back on them, which we knew from the original film. Yeah, that so, tracks. You know, sort of blames Nala for all of that. Um, how did you feel about them breaking Timon and Pumbaa apart in this instance? Um, I mean, they have to do something with it, right? Because we go with Simba when he decides he's going back. Right. Um, we see Nala explain to Timon and Pumbaa what's happened in Lion King. I'm talking right, right. about, and yeah. we get it again here. But they do one up it. They do play it for comedy, where she's explained it 47 times, and they're still not getting it. Um, so they had to do something with it. Um, I mean, I think it works because they still arrive back at Pride Rock at the same time, right? And then they become live bait. Um, but I like that it wasn't, you know, immediate. I, I think that that's where the arc of their story also really works because, you know, we talked about, they have to get to this point where they are friends and they are going to solidify that friendship and, and, you know, not just decide that they're going to work together, but they're going to be a family. They're going to stick together. Um, but I think it would have been too perfect otherwise. You know, not everything is going to be perfect all the time. So I like that they gave us a little bit of conflict here um, without completely separated. You can't, I mean, you can't have them separated and then reunite at the end of the movie because then that's never going to work. But um, I honestly hadn't thought too much about it until you asked. But now that I'm, you know, sort of thinking through and breaking it down... Um, I actually like that there's a little bit of a speed bump in the road here. Well, and this kind of happens in every film, right? You, whether it's a rom-com, an action film, or an animated film in this case, the end of the second act, beginning of the third act, there's always a conflict between your two main characters, and they storm off, and they eventually have to kiss and make up, right? So they do that same thing here, but you get a little bit more interaction with Rafiki and Timon, and then you get... After that, that's where you get that that brilliant line from Ma of my son's off chasing metaphors, because now we also have to get Max and Ma to Pride Rock. And they use that. That's happening at the same time. This is all a vehicle to get us to the conclusion of The Lion King. So that's the only thing that I bump on a little bit, because... When they did cut back to Ma and Uncle Max, it sort of seemed like they were going to set up a parallel journey of those two going off on their own and maybe they encounter the hyenas or there were going to be a whole bunch of obstacles in their way. It seemed like that was the setup. And I'm wondering if maybe once upon a time that's where it was supposed to go, but they had to cut it for time because had they focused on that, you wouldn't have got this conflict between Timon and Pumbaa. Um, and while that might have been funny, I think it would have been a disservice to the story, especially because you do get this great scene with Rafiki. And we said it before, the Timon and Rafiki relationship is the one that we never knew we needed, but we love, especially because now you get 
Timon impersonating Rafiki. I know what you're going to say. And to hear Nathan Lane put on that voice and do the impression, we don't need to worry about how Ma and Uncle Max got to Pride Rock. Oh, and one more thing I want to point out before we move on to Pride Rock. And I overlooked it. When Timon looks at Pumbaa and says, we got to get out of here. This storm's getting really bad. And it's Mufasa. Uh. As he's no, going to... uh, the clouds are coming to a head is is the line. It's a pun on it. Yeah, but that yeah, and they turn so around bad. and it's when Mufasa is speaking to Simba. Just, yeah. okay, let, let's get to Pride Rock, all right? Um, we have Pumbaa as a juicy pig. One it of my favorite old. parts of Lion King. Yeah, and I, I love that they weren't like, okay, well, you've seen this. We don't need to return. No, you did need to hit it again. And they draw the hyenas away, and now Ma and Uncle Max have arrived, and Ma is watching Timon be a leader in in his own way, be fearless, be selfless. She's never seen this out of him, and she goes, he's changed, to which Uncle Max responds, yeah, he's wearing a dress. <laughs> the line slaps, but... What it does too, low key, is serve even further that at the end of the day, almost no matter what Timon does, Uncle Max is still going to be his harshest critic because he's not recognizing him for the change in the positive, for the good that he's doing, for the selflessness, for the you know I hate to say it, the usefulness because Uncle Max doesn't find him useful. That's that's what sets this whole thing up. He still doesn't see past it. And I think that that's sort of on brand for his family in totality. Agreed. Uh, yeah, no, I I really like this whole scene, especially how they bring the tunnel digging yeah. full circle. And that was Timon's foil, but now it's his strength. The only thing I don't love about the scene, and I, I think it's really because you had to get Whoopi Goldberg another line or two. I don't love the proposal as a distraction. Yeah, that just didn't work for me. Although when he, it is funny when he gives her, it's like a very Italian thing, like the three middle names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, it was very, fu- like that was funny. It wasn't necessary, but it was funny enough. There is one place though, where this does deviate from the original film. Um, as we know, Simba fights Scar. He pushes him off of Pride Rock into the fire. I didn't need to see Scar hitting rocks on the way down. And that does sort of deviate from the original film because he falls and then the hyenas get him. Right. This just kind of, that took too much liberty and made too much of a change from what we know. Of all of the changes and all of the liberties that they took, I don't disagree with you, but I didn't think it was the most egregious thing that they could have done either. Because you you obviously aren't going to show what happens behind the scenes with Scar and the hyenas, you know, so. No, obviously. Um, and then, you know, to wrap it up, they they get us one more time. We're back with Timon and Pumbaa in the theater. And then we get these other brilliant cameos of all these Disney characters that we know and love. And I just, I, I just love it. It was perfect. Don't tell Rachel Ziegler. She won't watch this movie. Oh my goodness. She'll get creeped out and scared and uncomfortable with the cameos <laughs> at the end of the movie. Yes, the silhouettes. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the fact that Simba thanks them. That he says, I couldn't have done it without you guys. Like, it's just a really perfect way to end the story as we know it. 
let's talk a little bit about uh, the cast here. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Edward Hebert as Zazu. This was a recast. Uh, I think Rowan Atkinson just wasn't available at the time. I think is what this came down to. Um, he doesn't have a lot of lines, but you know, not having Robin Williams as the genie in Return of Jafar. You knew it wasn't Robin Williams, but it didn't take away from the film. Didn't really even take away from the character that much. He was written differently, and he felt a little different, but it was still well done. In this case, it definitely feels like something is missing. Yeah. It it didn't even feel like it was slightly off. This just felt like sort of a bad impersonation, and I love Zazu. Um, so didn't work for the voice, but I'm glad that they didn't write Zazu out altogether because I think you could have taken that route. You could have very easily said, well, this is Timon and Pumbaa centric. We're going to see Mufasa, you know, taken out of this film, but Zazu was always Mufasa's right hand. Like, yes, he was assigned to watch Simba. Yes. We get some really great scenes with him and Simba, but he was Mufasa's guy and sort of the go-between between between Mufasa and Scar. So I think they could have very easily made the choice to just eliminate him altogether and say Mufasa and Scar are kind of out of this, so Zazu's going with them. Um, But I'm glad they didn't go that route Um, because then I would have felt the absence. Like, this I can overlook. I would have rather not had him eliminated altogether. Julie Kavner plays Ma. Julie Kavner is so funny here my one criticism and it's it's a criticism and i i kind of i think i brought it up during return of jafar but if i didn't i'll I'll bring it up again now or i'll I'll elaborate on it a little bit more marge simpson julie kavner plays marge simpson iconic it's the same voice and i know that she's talented so i'm surprised that they would use the same voice there's no deviation from it so there is a bit of as great and she's great. She's funny. She nails the comedic beats. I think that she was well cast. But when you have such an iconic voice coming out of a new character, it is a bit of a distraction. I agree. I you wouldn't deviate a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm critiquing it so much as I am surprised by it. Um, I agree with you. I love the character of the mother that's like just overbearing enough. And then she does give it that softer quality when she realizes that she needs to let Timon go. I think the performance is incredible. But to your point, yes, that voice is so iconic. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, it's March. Um, So I'm surprised that they would take someone who is so married to something else and put them here without having her deviate as much because it all she would have had to do was maybe lose the graveliness in her voice and it would have been different enough, but it's still so present when she gets into that like lower register that you're, you just, you close your eyes and it's March, you know, like there's no separating the two. And I mean, wonderful for her that she has a career like that where she's got a character like this, that's kept her employed for what, 30 years now. More than that. But, um, it's just, like, that's the thing. And I mean, let that be the worst critique, right? You're too iconic. But yeah, I'm just surprised they didn't 
put some sort of a variation on it. Yeah. Both both in direction and acting. I think both take the fall for that here. Jerry Stiller plays Uncle Max. Jerry because Stiller of course he does. Jerry Stiller's a treasure. He was great. He was perfect in this. And the character is I mean the voice performance yes boosts it up and makes it what it is, but I just love this character. Let me ask you, though, because this was something I was sort of surprised with. Um, were were you surprised that they didn't make Uncle Max Timon's father? Well, remember, we at this point in, st- in time didn't have two parents in a Disney film. And if we did, they went the way of Mufasa. So I'm not surprised. That's sort of just the model for Disney. Um, and I think if you have the disgruntled uncle, I, I think it, it, you have to parody Simba. I, I think that there's, I think there's an intentional parody between Timon and Simba that kind of gets understated because they didn't want to hammer you with it. So I'm okay with him being a disgruntled uncle rather than a father figure. Interesting. I hadn't considered that right because Simba has a terrible relationship with his uncle. So now even though uncle Max is very hard on him, it's sort of like coming from a tough love place. They did actually have uh, both parents written in at one point, but because it just felt like too many new characters, they gave all the dialogue to Ma. I mean, that makes sense. You know, I, I think that it would have been, yeah, I think it would have been too much if you would have introduced you know, another character. It wasn't really necessary. It, it is just enough. Yeah, I don't think that you would have needed mom, dad, and Uncle Max. Correct. I'm just surprised that they went with Uncle Max instead of the father. But again, that's what I was thinking of more in terms of the parallel to Simba is that, you know, the, the whole thing of the Lion King is the fallout from the death of his father. So right. now... If you have Timon having a good relationship with his father, they're not going to bond quite as much. So I think the uncle was probably the better way to go about that. Let's talk about the two new songs that we have in the film. Dig a Ton of Dance. Book of Mormon much? Oh, I love the song. And I love the animation. It's hysterical. Oh, I do too. I love everything about this sequence i thought it was so clever i love that they leaned into just timon being a meerkat and they had them all popping up and not just the digging but the way yeah. they pop it in and out of the holes it i mean it's one of my favorite things to do at lion at uh, animal kingdom is go right. watch the meerkats pop up um whole thing was brilliant but that song if you know, you know. If you've seen Book of Mormon, I immediately grabbed my phone, went to IMDb, and I was like, did Robert Lopez write this too? Because it just felt so similar to Book of Mormon, um, but in all of the right ways. Should it be on the list? This is now going to keep being the conversation that we have when it comes to this rancid Billboard 100 <laughs> list. This has to... Th- I, I would have put this on. Yeah, I would have put we're, this on. I think we're going to have to get together with Joe and Tyler and re- rewrite the list. Oh, I like that idea. Like, I'm not even saying that we'll re-rank it. 
I think that we can just go in and yank things out and substitute things. Yeah, instead of building it from scratch. I mean, we have like 20 songs to play with if we rip out all the decoms. I don't even want to rip all of them out. I just want to rip out the bad songs, of which there are plenty. Because we know that the people that wrote that list were like 14 years old. I mean, honestly, though, I I never thought that I'd be saying something found in a sequel, a straight-to-video sequel would be among the best Disney songs ever written. But yeah, I say add this to the list. Yes. And we'll see. I just, without telling you too much for you DCOM fans out there, or stands, I still don't understand that term, but I'll show my age. In the next couple of weeks, you're going to be very happy with Monoreal Radio because we're going to be going into a very beloved franchise. And my understanding is that the music, as they say, slaps. <laughs> we'll see we'll see before we get to the other new song um you know we hit on that they managed to insert can't wait to be king and akuna matata back in very tastefully done yeah love it the other thing that they got in here um i don't know if you caught it when they're doing the parenting scene they play sunrise sunset from mm -hmm. fiddler on the roof yes i mean uh, amazing that they had the budget to even get the rights to that one but I thought that that was very funny. That's All I Need is the other original song written for this movie. You know, it's fun enough. I think when you, when you get the cast together that you've got, and you've got the talent that you've got, you're going to make sure that everybody has their song and everybody gets their chance to sing it, and you're not going to squander the talent. Um, between the two, though, Dig a Ton of Dance is so much better. I agree. Final thoughts on The Lion King one and a half. Do you want to go first or, you do, or would you prefer I go first? Um, I'll go first because it's pretty short and sweet. Um, I mean, I said it at the top of the show. This should not have worked. You're not only taking an iconic Disney film, but you're taking an iconic story, meaning Hamlet, and manipulating it and it's a huge gamble but this was high risk way high reward um i i absolutely loved it um it's hilarious the comedy's there and i dare say there has not been a story that pulled this off so successfully as far as taking what we know and showing the backstory since wicked Yes, I am comparing this to my beloved Wicked. It was that well done. Uh, compounded with, like I said, comedy is great. Performances were great. Songs were great. Um, I just, I really so thoroughly enjoyed it. And the rewatchability is there. Through the roof. I had said when we started this, my hope was that we would find some gems. I didn't want to sit here for a month and just rip things apart. Same. I wanted to find gems. Not only did we find a gem, but I have a hot take. I'm giving this a perfect score. I'm also putting it above Return of Jafar. Wow. Okay, so you're going to give it a perfect score even though we did fault them for sort of manipulating that timeline with Can't Wait to Be King. Because they don't 
overtly do it. They, we, we it, it, it's in the eye of the beholder. They don't out and out do it. See, that's what brings it just shy of perfect for me because it was the one thing that didn't perfectly line up. But I mean, I'm still, I'm comparing it to Wicked. I'm certainly not trashing this film by any stretch of the imagination. But to your point, yes, I agree. I didn't want to sit here and spend weeks just ripping things apart, but this is the gem that I were ho- I was hoping we would find, and this is just one of those films that makes me happy that we launched Monoreal Radio to find things like this. But I'm sorry, I'm hijacking your final review. I I already gave mine. Go ahead. No, I'm I'm gonna rank it above the Return of Jafar, and and I didn't think that I was gonna find one that I would ever put above Return of Jafar, and I'm so glad that I did. Um, I mean, look, you know, of the, what, four weeks so far that we've been into this this series of discussing this, we've really only found one bad film. Um, Return one of truly the, bad yeah, film, yeah. You know, it, Little Mermaid 2 was fine. It wasn't great, but it certainly wasn't a bad film. It was fine. Uh, Return of the Jafar is, is a classic. We know that. Aladdin and the King of Thieves, I thought was very good. Um, not perfect, not as good as Return of Jafar, but a, but a good film. You know, all in all, I think they left them in a good place. This is outstanding. Um, I think the film that we're going to watch next week, spoiler, it's The Lion King too. Um, I think that that's got a lot to live up to. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, you know... Again, surprise to nobody, had not seen it prior to sitting to review it here. So I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, because of all of them, I think because the bar gets so high with this, that has the risk for me to be a massive letdown. But I thought, privately, I thought the same thing could happen with Aladdin and the King of Thieves. And that wasn't the case at all. So I'm kind of hoping that we have a repeat of that, where do I anticipate it to be better than this? It's not likely. Could it be? Certainly. But I do I do have my bar set very high for next week. I agree, but I think the difference is because that is the Lion King 2, it is going to be more of a continuation. I feel like we're going to keep this one in a class all by itself. Glass case. Not of emotion, but in a trophy room. We want to know what you have to say about The Lion King one and a half. You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first we take a quick break. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets, or you can email me directly, monorealradio at gmail.com. All right, let's talk about uh, some news here, starting with Disney announcing $60 billion with a B. With a B. $60 billion worth of investment into Disney parks globally over the next decade. We just had this Destination D23 event, 
so let's announce this after the fact. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, it's it's encouraging, and, and the fact that they're spreading this over all parks, and we know that they've obviously got new lands and new attractions that are opening overseas. But it's good to hear that there is going to be a reinvestment into the Disney parks because a lot of their, you know, uh, some of the the harsh critics in the last couple of years have pointed out that the experience doesn't offer as much as it did, you know, just the magic bands being complimentary, the magical express, the bag claim, all of that. So it's good to see that while Disney does not offer that at this point, and who's to say that that doesn't come back. I think that at some point it probably does, frankly. Um, I think that to show that we're going to invest into your guest experience, especially on the heels of the announcements that were made at Destination D23. I think that it is positive news that points the company in the right direction. I'm looking at this very, very differently because I think people were very much taken aback by that number, but it's over 10 years. You right. know, it's it's not like Iger said, all right, well, come next year, we're going to put $60 billion in. But where I do kind of raise an eyebrow with that number is we can find that much in the budget to apply towards the parks, which is needed. However, I think it's in very poor taste to announce something like this with the writer's strike still going on. You can find it for the parks, but you can't find that teeny tiny small percentage to give them what they are asking for and end this. And that's the other thing. Where is this 60 billion going to come from? Because you can't make any movies right now. So I kind of think we need to you know, just think a little bit about what we're saying here as far as $60 billion. But what I'm hoping part of that budget is allocated to is putting back what we, what we lost before the pandemic, stop blaming the pandemic. I think that's first and foremost, put the magical express back first and foremost, give us back what we once had for free. Stop with lightning lane. I'm, I'm hoping that is first and foremost part of this budget. Um, second, finish what you started. I mean, Epcot, we know will be back in shape by then, but give us the full Galaxy's Edge with the drones that we were supposed to have. You know, they are going to put the second ride in with Avengers Campus. My guess is that that's what part of this $60 billion yeah. is. That's my biggest thing is just finish what you started before we go with all the new stuff. Third thing I think a lot of that is going either towards the area behind uh, Frontierland and or Fifth Gate here in Florida. I think you need to because you and I have been talking about it for a long time is that we've had, you know, the only addition to the footprint really has been Animal Kingdom. And you could make the argument for Galaxy's Edge, but it's been hotels, 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 and the parks are not keeping up and it's starting to feel very crowded so I'm hoping that by putting that much money into these parks those are a couple of the changes that we're going to see um I mean that's a lot of money and I'm only just talking about what I'm hoping it goes towards globally I think we're going to see a lot of change I mean we know we know some of them too three more ships in the cruise fleet but I wouldn't be surprised if um Perhaps they they put more into either Paris 
or Hong Kong or Tokyo and make those more larger destinations, perhaps like even a, a third gate for Paris. I don't know. I don't know what kind of room they have to work with there. Um, I don't think that uh, Lightning Lane is going to ever go away because what people have proven, the ones that complain about it, they've proven that they're willing to pay They'll for pay it. They'll pay for it still, yeah. Even though they hate it, they pay for it. So Disney is not going to take away that feature because people have shown that in spite of themselves, they're going to hand over more money for something that used to be free. I think that the Magical Express at this point is something that should return. Epic Universe, folks, it is less than two years away at the time of this recording. Universal... Take it from people that have a Universal Annual Pass, okay? And go to both parks regularly. I mean, we were just at Universal Property this past weekend. They do not skimp on their transportation. No. And with Brightline, as of today, actually, yeah, Brightline at the ran time its, of this recording, yeah. It, today was the first day of Brightline, uh, running from Orlando to Miami. We know that there are, is going to be a stop by the convention center. It's it's going to be streamline transportation direct to where? Universal Studios. There was supposed to be a line that was going to go to Disney Springs. Disney opted not to pay for it. So that's not going to happen now. Epic Universe is going to hold Disney's feet to the fire. And I don't think that you're going to see wholesale change with the way that Disney is conducting their business in 2025. Because I think that there are times that Disney will call Universal's bluff. Um, that's what led to things like Galaxy's Edge. They called their bluff on, you won't pull off Harry Potter. Well, they did. And they continue to pull off Harry Potter very well. To the point where Harry Potter continues to bleed out into opening day attractions. And I can go on a tangent about that because I don't care for Harry Potter that much and I think that there are certain things that are staples that should just remain but be that as it may Universal invests a lot into giving people a guest experience that is top of the line it wasn't always that way take it from me I was their harshest critic for a long time I've done a radical about face radical I think that any changes you see made with Disney, whether it be the return of a complimentary magic band, whether it be, and I'm talking for all hotels, wouldn't surprise me in the next year or two if they're trying to bump moderates and deluxe, maybe those people get a free magic band. But in terms of wholesale change, back to free magic band, back to free baggage claim, back to free magical express, I don't think you see that until 2026 or 2027 at a minimum. Because I think Disney wants to see... Does Epic Universe hurt us? Are they going to draw people away from us? Or is this just building Orlando as a bigger destination? Is that going to bring more people to Disney parks? Because more people are going to extend their vacations in Orlando. Right. That's what I think. I'm not a genius. I could be completely wrong. They could announce that Magical Express is coming back tomorrow. I hope that they do. But that's, that's where we're at with that bit of news. Another bit of news... That has caused a little bit of a controversy, and rightfully so, has been Monday Night Football returning to ABC, at least for the short term. Now, Monday Night Football was always on ABC. Monday Night Football was an ABC staple. 
they moved it from ABC to ESPN because they were trying to force people to buy a cable package to watch Monday Night Football, which everybody talks about Sunday. Primetime Monday Night game for the past 40 years has been the marquee football game of the week other than, you know, your AFC, NFC championship games, Super Bowl, whatever. Right. You did that to force cable subscribers so that you would see it on the back end. Well, you just went into heated arguments with Spectrum, Charter, these contract disputes. We've seen it before. ESPN, ABC get yanked off the air, right? And then we talked about how when they were brought back, Freeform didn't need to be a part of it. FX didn't need to be a part of it. What does that mean for the future of those channels? But now you got these cable companies to negotiate a contract with you. You get ESPN back on the air. You get ABC back on the air and then go, oh, and by the way, since we don't have any new content for you, Monday Night Football is back on on ABC. It has driven the cable carriers bananas. Yeah, and the timing, you know, with everything else that they're faced with, with the writer's strike and streaming, it, they need to be more careful. They are pissing off so many people and upsetting the public so much. It, they they need to write this. I feel like they just keep getting knocked down and knocked down. Like, they, they need to regain their footing and get back in the public favor. See, to me, as I said Monday Night Football should have never left ABC. It it was I thought it was BS when they did it all those years ago. I think it's been about fifteen years now, maybe a little bit longer. Um, if anything, you need to fill slate. We talked about how Miss Marvel was going to go to ABC. Like to me, like this is an opportunity for you to maybe take some of your Disney Plus content, put it out on ABC, see if you can gain a little interest, drive some subscribers that way, bring in some new subscribers, or what's wrong with bringing, and you could have done, greatest hits. Bring back Full House as a means of showing people something that then gets them to sign up for a streamer because they want to get the back catalog. Show us Home Improvement. Show us Boy Meets World. Show us Girl Meets World. Put TGIF back on. Exactly. Because you would tug at the heartstrings of our generation that grew up on that, They would sit their kids in front of the TV to watch those shows, and maybe you only give them the first season. But now the kids are hooked. They want to see more. When the writer's strike is done and you start bringing back new content, oh, you want to see those other four seasons, five seasons of Boy Meets World? Oh, you want to see six more seasons of Home Improvement? Give us your money. It's all up for grabs up on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. You know, there are ways to do this and it, and I think on the back end, you could drive more towards streaming, which is obviously something that they're saying is sort of a bane in, of their existence because they lost a lot of subscribers after the pandemic was over, after people weren't sitting at home all day. Well, here's the other thing, too, where I think this gets a little bit confusing is we've also talked about, are they going to unload ABC and ESPN? And now you go and you do this. You just jogged my memory saying, you know, put these shows back on the air. They were going to do it with Miss Marvel or whatever. They are doing for Disney 100. They have a new short film and that's going to premiere on ABC. The trailer looks incredible. I mean, I know we're not talking about 
new content, but being that this is going to broadcast television and not the streamer, I'm willing to to let this one slide. It's available for free. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, folks, you don't need a cable package. I don't think people understand that. Yeah. I think you forget that we I put an antenna on this house. I've been on an antenna for years. I get 75 channels for free, all of the networks included. You don't need it to be exclusively cable. In this case, you're literally giving people content for free. Maybe this is an excellent opportunity to bring back the return of the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights. Bring back, you know, they used to put the Prince and the Pauper would be on the wonderful world of Disney. Or how many of those original uh, films that were made for Wonderful World? Dust them off, put them on. Like, there's, there is so much content, rich content out there that you can put up for free that I think that it's a missed opportunity. I think that it's a way of kind of rebuilding some faith with people because people always, listen, at the end of the day, you don't remember what stung you. You always remember the good times. Well, what's better than remembering sitting with your family or your friends watching these shows and watching these movies on television? And then what are you going to do during the commercials? You're going to run advertisements for the parks. Exactly. It's all... And that's what I'm, I was talking about earlier with getting back in the public favor. You can do that and then still have all of your branded content. And I think we are going to start to see more of that now. But I think that they finally decide, decided what they were doing with, with ABC. And I think that that's maybe why they're willing to put a little bit more back into it. Well, it's funny, isn't it, that <clears throat> CBS and NBC have been pulling things from Paramount Plus and Peacock and putting them on the networks. Nobody bats an eye. Disney does it and people start a bonfire over it. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the court of public opinion. And that's where I think that there needs to be a little bit of, re of not a little bit, a lot of bit of rehabilitation. We're interested in knowing what you have to say about this week's news. You can let us know on X Instagram and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just gave you that social media. Don't forget to follow us there. Also on TikTok and threads at Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.